Load the plates and lift the weights And we are mates and weights are great And as of late we pontificate About the weights and make a podcast Sumo is cheating This is Weekly Weights with Alex and Will Welcome to episode 74 of Weekly Weights. I'm Alex Hayes, and without me today is Will Berkman. He's off in Japan watching the Rugby World Cup. So I'm joined by Nicholas Walters today. He's going to be my co-host. So Nick is the powerlifting coach out of Athletes Authority. He coaches online at the Process Powerlifting, and he's an ex-natural bodybuilder and now powerlifter in the 105-kilo class. So welcome to the show, man. Thank you very much, Alex. So full disclosure, this is our second time doing this. The first time wasn't recording, so we're starting from scratch. Luckily, we only got about 15 minutes into it, so we'll redo it. So uh, we'll start off by talking about your history in the gym, Nick. So you've been lifting weights for well over a decade. Where did it all start for you? How did it start? How did you fall in love with the gym? So I originally always... um playing cricket and rugby uh, back at school and uh, actually damaged my AC joint playing a, a footy game um, and it took me out for the season I uh, yeah so I was I had nothing to do for a whole season whole winter season and found myself in the gym uh, and from essentially from day dot I was uh, just in love with bodybuilding in love with just lifting weights um, loved training legs, loved training chest, back. It was everything. It was it was all all the different muscles from day dot. It wasn't just you know the bro muscles. Um, and that kind of uh, that kind of set me up um, to actually push push my uh, more competitive sport, which was cricket, out out the door um, and pursue bodybuilding full time. Um, yeah, and it was it was more like I was saying before we uh, got rudely. Uh, interrupted by the edit rudely unrecorded <laughs> um, initially I convinced myself that uh, oh I <laughs> initially I uh, um, convinced myself that it was um, it was all for performance and, and whatnot but at the end of the day it was it was all about you know feeling better and, and uh, you know getting out of my skin a little bit and being a bit less shy and it was it was a bit of a clutch, really, and um, but I just happened to take it a little bit further than than what most bros would do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So obviously, for you, it started in bodybuilding. Um, you've competed a couple times um, in natural bodybuilding. When were your competitions, and how did you find the experience as a whole? So my first competition was in two thousand and ten. Um, I was. 19 might have been 20 years old actually um, and that was the IMBA Mr. Sydney titles um, and I happened to win the junior Mr. Sydney title that, that day um, we forgot to add that into uh, Nick's intro <laughs> yeah yeah 2011 junior Mr. Sydney yeah that was me yeah uh, yeah and uh, did you ever get on one of those um, one of those posters no. You know how they make those? Yeah, it was like, only for the overall. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so I was battling it out with the overall guy at the final and they just gave it to the other guy because he was a bit, bit bigger than me. But he was a bit of a fat cunt, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, call him out, yeah. bro. We're all about that here. Yeah. <laughs> He's probably like 50 years old. <laughs> um, 
yeah, so that was my first comp. Um, I almost, I did a comp straight after that or started prepping for a comp when I was about eight weeks out, uh, looking and feeling really good. Um, and I ruptured a, uh, one of my discs in my back, uh, deadlifting, uh, horrendous, horrendous form. Um, and I actually had to have uh, pretty, pretty major surgery to fix that up. And so they've taken quite a bit of disc out. Uh, so I'm left with a bit of a compromised disc, but however, still rolling. Um, so that was, that was the second, well, almost second competition. And then the, there was a big hiatus after that until the third one uh, in 2017, um, where I, did the, I can't even remember what it's called now, ICN New South Wales titles. Um, yeah, and uh, that that was a diabolical disaster. Um, yeah, I just did completely different to the previous competitions. Um, you know, stuff outside of the gym was uh, not not doing too well and that just, it all, it wasn't a good experience uh, whatsoever. Um, you know, 35 week diet and end up looking pretty ordinary on stage. I was, I was, yeah, pretty uh, unhappy with that. Yeah, I remember because um, we were mates when you were doing that show, and I remember you being very down yeah. after it all finished, and you were like, you know, kind of angry in a way, a little bit. 100%. Um, very frustrated. How's the process itself to get to that? To get to that point. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, I'm. I guess I'm asking about all the preps that you've done. Like, how did you find the process of dieting in general? Well, the process of dieting has it has changed significantly from those first two competitions, well, from the the first and the last one. Um, the first competition was a 15 week diet, uh, where I was already pretty lean. I was kind of a little bit naive. Um, you know, it was it was actually quite an easy prep. Um, and I was probably the leanest guy on the on the stage uh, in 2010. The third prep that I did was um, 35 weeks. Um, I was a little bit more out of shape, but still more than double the double the prep time. And I just turned up to the third competition and was just blown away by the difference in standards over those seven years. And I was. I'd gone from probably the leanest guy on the on the stage to one of the fattest guys on the stage, and that was uh, that was a bit of pill to swallow, to be honest. Yeah. So obviously, the way that you turned up to that um, to that second show was like a bit disappointing, and that kind of put a yeah. damper on the whole experience itself, like on the show day experience. How did the show? How was the show day experience for you in general? Was it something that you actually enjoyed, or not really? No, I didn't enjoy it. Um, both both that situation in itself but also um the 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 whole process in itself um even if it was going to have gone well um it's for me for me the process of dieting and training is a lot more uh, a lot more attractive to the compared to the actual kind of getting on the stage you know whacking on six coats of protein and um you know donning the g-banger and flexing your muscles next to next to other guys that that's the process that's a little bit foreign to me um and i understand that it's 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 what you need to do to express 
to express um, your results and, and, and the process that you've, you've committed to. Um, but it's certainly not um, something that I'm, I'm frothing over, that's for sure. Yeah, the way I see it is like when you get to um, most sports, and you know, we could probably even have the argument whether, power, uh, whether bodybuilding is a sport in itself, when you get to competition in most sports, there is some competition. Like you are performing an athletic <clears throat> skill, you are competing against another team or another yeah. another individual, whatever the case is. Whereas in bodybuilding, it's almost like you get up there and the work's kind of done, and it's more of like an artistic showcase. Yeah, absolutely. It's, a, it's more much more artistic form than anything. I mean, if you can, you can look at it like a little bit, maybe like uh, some of like the floor routines and like gymnastic stuff well they still they do have to perform but all the works kind of preceded that and it's a little, a little bit more artistic um there is a bit of an art to posing believe it or not and it, and it is fucking hard yeah like, it, it, it is, is hard. i've done a little bit of it yeah your ability to get like, like it's trainable it's something you can train a muscle to kind of pop up a little bit more and um you know when when you see someone who just flexes in the, in the street it just looks absolutely terrible to a bodybuilder but a guy that practices it um it makes it look um you know much more artistic in 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 that sense um that's almost like the equivalent of the executing a competition plan or something like that yeah yeah. like how good your technique at technique is kind of showcase your level of strength absolutely absolutely because you can have all that raw material um (laughs) And you can be the most shredded guy on the on the platform on the stage, sorry. Um, but if you don't know how to pose, you just you're going to get looked over one hundred percent. Yeah, and we see that in the powerlifting context. Like sometimes the strongest guy doesn't win. No way. And yeah. if you know, take um, take Berkman's ninety four kilo nationals performance into um, as an example. Like he yeah. probably should have come sixth. Yeah. One guy missed weight. Yeah. One guy went four for nine. One guy went five for nine. Berkman came in, and just did what he needed to get the highest medal possible, and it was That's like right. all about yeah. execution. So I, I feel like is that something that kind of happens in bodybuilding? Like you can get outposed and lose. Hundred percent. Yep. So you you do need to like even even I was pretty lazy with posing itself, but the you know the guys the guys these days are just they're posing an hour at a time per day and. Um, that really makes a difference and it really makes that kind of muscle pop out um, compared to someone who's just got that just got all the raw materials but just it just looks it just looks different it's very hard to describe if uh, unless you, you you're into the bodybuilding scene but it just looks different yeah yeah so um you mentioned that you had sort of a negative last experience um at your last competition, was that sort of the main reason for you to decide to shift your attention to powerlifting or was it something that was always always in the back of your mind? It was definitely in the back of my mind. I, I certainly think the situation at the last competition helped me, uh, uh, you know, ruffle on to, to powerlifting. It was, uh, I was v- feeling very negative about you know, the whole bodybuilding um, scenario, you know, doing 35 week diet, um, feeling like I'd almost done twice as much work as the previous competition and got h- half the results. So I was quite, I was pretty bitter, and um, I just I went back into a caloric surplus, obviously, and 
uh, started to get my mind right a lot of, about a lot of things and shifted kind of my focus away from um, the aesthetics and, and palating was just standing right there ready to be taken and I just I jumped in and loved every moment of it. So um, now that you've sort of competed at a high level in both, how do you find the differences between the two sports and how are they also the same? So differences in the two sports definitely within the the final stage, the final stages of both. Uh, as powerlifters, we are expressing our strength um, in an upward fashion. So we, you know, we're peaking, um, and the training increases uh, while our nutrition generally will stay the same or or increase as well a little bit. With bodybuilding, the difference is. Uh, your training is relatively the same and your nutrition is just getting pulled away in a downwards fashion. Um, and it, and it just during those last kind of phases of each, each sport, um, they are very different. Um, now, for nine tenths of the year, they are very, very much the same. Um, Off-season bodybuilding uh, more or less looks like powerlifting training and, and vice versa. And I think that's, that's why they're so uh, applicable to each other and, they, and some really good lessons can be taken away from each and applied um, and applied to each, each sport um, with, a, with a beneficial manner for it, yeah. Yeah, so that's something that we've spoken about a fair bit on this podcast, particularly recently. Um, which is some of the lessons that apply to both and you know why you shouldn't be closed off in learning from other disciplines in strength sports like why you you know maybe you should look to strongman and about their deadlifting yeah, and absolutely how to build more tissue from a bodybuilder what are some of the things that you've learned in competitive bodybuilding that have helped you um, as a powerlifting competitor well cert- certainly your mindset um, your ability to to suffer like it's just it's probably the greatest, one of the greatest teachers I've come across so far in my life. Um, your ability just to go through pain and just keep going, knowing that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, transferring that over to powerlifting is very, very easy. Uh, with powerlifting, it's a lot more lifestyle uh, friendly, uh, even when you're peaking. Uh, but obviously, when you're peaking, that, that you can get uh, some some really difficult times where you you know you're struggling with your your body, your joints are aching, you feel like dog shit, you know um, you don't know if you're going to get the next lift or not. And having that kind of like mentality that you've brought across from bodybuilding and just that ability to to go through some pain um, has helped powerlifting my powerlifting training tremendously. Yeah, and that's something that I've. I've noticed from um, a few of my my lifters who have done both sports, so yourself, Potty, Mags, you guys have endured that really difficult time during bodybuilding prep, and you've kind of sunk your teeth hard into it. And I've noticed that you know you guys are some of the lifters who I coach who can sort of handle the most the most shit in the gym, like just get through the most work. Do you yeah. find that like having to train when you're feeling so terrible? during a deficit and just having to get through the work, you feel like that's helped you in the harder training phases as a powerlifter as well? Absolutely, yeah. So, you know, in all respects, the powerlifting and, and peaking, the, 
the training, especially when you're at least at a maintenance site um, or a surplus, uh, the training doesn't it pales in comparison to the difficulty of bodybuilding training in a, an aggressive deficit. Um, so it's always a good it's always a good reminder when powerlifting training is getting somewhat difficult that this could be a lot worse. <laughs> and um, the fact is, like like we were talking about earlier, is that um, in general most powerlifters the the hard work is done in the gym and for the most part, people, like I was saying, are in are at maintenance or a surplus, unless they're hyper-competitive and they're, they're dropping some weight. Now, um, now you can put that down to, okay, I've, I've, you've got to frame it. You've got to go, look, I've got two to three hours in the gym that I'm going to be really busting my ass. But afterwards, going to go home, going to have a big, uh, big juicy burger or something and just uh, chill out, right? With bodybuilding, very different. So you go to the gym generally hungry and the uh, the gym is almost sustenance away from being... Hungry. Uh, yeah, away from being hungry. Like I, I remember in my worst days, my most difficult days as um, bodybuilding, I remember I just used to like go to the gym as long as physically possible because it meant I wasn't thinking about food. And then when you get out of the gym, you're like, oh shit, now I'm hungry again. Yeah, looking forward to the chicken and asparagus is hardly the same as <laughs> looking forward to a pizza after training or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very different. So we'll take a quick break now and then we'll come back with some uh, stuff about Nick's coaching. Weekly Weights. Welcome back to Weekly Weights. I'm Alex and I'm here with Nick. Now, we've spoken a little bit about your bodybuilding career and how it's affected your... Um, career as a powerlifting competitor. Um, I wanted to know more about how it's affected your coaching career and um, how your experiences as a bodybuilder have sort of shaped how you do coach people now. So I guess, how has your approach as a coach been shaped by your competitive background in bodybuilding? Well, there's certainly a value on hypertrophy training uh, and, and building muscle tissue. Um, you know, we, we all know all things, all things being equal, that more more tissue equals more strength in a in a general basis. Okay, so that uh, that really sets up a platform for how I how I go with my guys. Um, I really like the phasic structure um, of powerlifting, and I I do think that's not implemented as much in bodybuilding. It probably needs to be. Um, and I think the by starting with that phasic structure where you're in a in a good hypertrophy phase, you can actually kind of dial back um, you know, the heaviness of the of the work in itself, and and really run t- in a, in uh, tandem your technique with your SBD, and also really hammer the hypertrophy stuff as well at the same time. I think it's a really good place to start for the majority of powerlifters. So do you think that um, all powerlifters should step away from the competition lifts at some point and focus on purely building their physique? Absolutely. And Absol- ha- absolutely. How would you go about doing this? Would you take the lifts completely away and replace them with like machine work or are you just choosing different variations? How, how do you go about deciding you know, which exercises and stuff like that? 
I think it's very contextual, but from a general standpoint, um, I do like to keep in a some variation of, of the three. Um, you know, you probably can get away with doing pause bench straight off the bat um, after a competition, but in terms of the competition deadlift and competition squat, which are generally, you know, your low bar and then whatever stance preference, um, they probably need to have a rest, uh, particularly if you're a sumo lifter as well. I generally find going back to conventional is um, much more helpful. Uh, I do, I do think they they need to be kept in to some degree just for uh, some carryover and some level of ba- some base uh, for when you do start to implement them uh, more competitively. Um, but in terms of the uh, the strategy in itself, there should be a huge emphasis on accessory work. And I, I, I generally, as a coach, I don't think squat, bench, and deadlift are the most efficient hypertrophy builders. They are great, they are great in itself, but I like to be a little bit more direct in terms of building muscle tissue. Um, so uh, what I like to find is like, I like to find exercises that uh, you you've got a good brace and you've got a good profile um, and they're a little bit more individualistic towards specific muscle tissue. Um, Do you want to give some examples of those? Like for, let's just give a few examples for each of the uh, powerlifts. Sure. So uh, for for squat bench dead? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in terms of squat bench dead, um, certainly the high bar squat is is the big winner. High bar and the safety bar squat are the big winners in the off season. Um, I don't know about, yeah, I reckon probably three out of four people have elbow issues with low bar squatting. And as the bigger you get, uh, the more issues you're gonna have. Uh, generally that's what I'm finding with my guys. Um, so you wanna get away from low bar and you wanna be really emphasizing high bar, which is a lot more kind of manageable for the body. Um, and safety bars, which is even, even more manageable. It's just taking a lot more uh, pressure off the shoulder. Uh, complex mm-hmm. uh, bench press um, like I was saying before I don't think pause is running into too much issues in terms of uh, um, it's still going to be a good hypertrophy bottle uh, like, I really like the emphasis on feet up and touch and go variations where you're just getting through a lot more work uh, per se and most certainly for the deadlift my guys that do sumo I take them away from sumo for at least one, usually two or three blocks, and get them back into the conventional. Um, I actually like to do touch and go deadlifts um, with my guys when they when they've just finished a competition. Um, just getting through a little bit more volume and it's it's super light. Um, the intensity is quite low. And I just find that and em- get- emphasize the eccentric portion a little bit. Yeah. 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 So Romanians as well, and stiff-legged deadlifts, where they're um, they're really loading up that posterior chain. Yeah. So your sentiments of what an off-season sort of block looks like very closely resemble mine. Um, to summarise, I guess choosing lifts that we can perform safely for lots of volume, um, yeah. choosing lifts that we can extend the range of motion a little bit. So we might do a full depth squat instead of just the competition depth. We might take the arch and the feet away so that we lengthen the arms on the bench, might bring the grip in on the bench. Yeah. We might use uh, slow eccentrics for deadlifts. We might use deficit deadlifts, RDLs, that kind of stuff. 
Um, what about planning the length of off-season phases? Um, what are some of the considerations that we need to have when we sort of plan a, an off-season for someone? I like to work backwards. So we, I usually have a discussion, well, I always have a discussion with my guys after they've competed in terms of when they want to compete again and, and when I think it's necessary as well, um, just from a, a coaching standpoint. And then I'll generally work backwards from that date. Um, now, if you've got a lot of time to play with, you can really draw hypertrophy blocks out quite significantly. Um, and depending on how much time you have, you can get away, you can be even less specific and, and go towards more kind of uh, dedicated bodybuilding training. Um, now, that, that, uh, the date in terms of when the next competition will be will dictate when I will transition them into a more strength dominant block and then into their peaks. So uh, I'll take one of your lifts as Sean as an example. Um, he competed in April yep. and he's not competing again until April. Correct. And he's yep. what, 20 or 19? He's 19. Okay. So you've you've given him, well, he's basically said to you, I don't want to compete till next next April. Yep. Redo nationals. How have you planned that 12 months without a competition? Yeah, so Sean's been an interesting one. Um, he has absolutely no desire to compete other than just, he's just got this like killer mindset where he just uh, wants to do the top level show and like I really admire that. Um, and it's been a bit of a challenge for me because I haven't had a guy like like that who's taken that much time off. Um, I've always had my guys do you know a show at least every six months, you know, at least around that time. With Sean, I've had to really really employ a, a, a big plan um, and, and the thing with plans like they're, they're only they're only so specific there's going to be a bit of rubbery kind of uh, connotation to it you're going to um, it's not going to be hyper hyper specific uh, for a huge amount of time um, and what I mean by that is that you've, you've got to be a little bit more reactive to how they're going in their training in itself. Now, we may have a plan in place, but if I see him constantly progressing, I'm not gonna be hard and fast to that specific plan. If I wanna push him a little bit further because he's just super fresh and he's still making gains, we'll go that way and we'll, we'll really milk each block as much as we can. And if he's being really, uh, like if he's really fatigued, obviously we'll bring, bring different plans into place. So there is a general plan, um, but I think you need to be a little bit more reactive to um, the feedback that you're getting from your clients and, and, and your athletes. It's really important to not be so hard and fast about it. I think phasic structure is the way to go for powerlifting, but you do need to be pretty fluid in terms of how you dictate that to the athlete. So yeah, almost like you have sort of a plan for what you expect to happen. Yes. And then you have sort of some fluidity outside to make adjustments. So, you know, if you have planned 10 weeks of hypertrophy, then six weeks of strength and a three-week peak, and yep. their hypertrophy is going really great, you might extend it to two weeks and take off two weeks of the other stuff. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I remember we had a chat about how you wanted to approach Sean's training, and you asked me, um, you asked me how you would go about planning the blocks for someone who's not competing for so long. And I said you kind of have two options. Uh, one of them being you do sort of 
you split it in half and you do um, hypertrophy strength and then you go back and you repeat that. Yeah. Um, and then the other option would be you step really, really far away from powerlifting. You might do 10, 12 weeks of bodybuilding, then step into more of a sort of higher volume powerlifting phase and then go into the strength stuff. Yeah. So after having that conversation, which one did you decide on and why? I actually went with the first option. So uh, having a look at Sean's situation himself, um, he he's very genetically gifted. He puts on size very quickly. Um, you know, eats the house down, doesn't get fat very very um, very much. So I thought we would get a lot more out of being a little bit more specific to getting his skill base up. I recently transitioned him from high bar to low bar squatting and he's just eat, eating everything up. Um, and his bench is just through the roof at the moment. And I just wanted to get as much of that going, uh, seeing he's such a young guy um, with a good base in itself. Now, what I, what I also did was I peppered him with a lot of accessory work as well. Um, so it was, it was much more of a kind of a power building um, situation setup than than a, a, a dedicated uh, bodybuilding block. Um, now, yeah, he, he's going to do a, a some gym testing at the end of the year, and then we're going to start him off fresh again um, with some more hypertrophy work running into junior nationals. Cool. So you almost um, split it up. Uh, you're not going to do a competition, but you're going to do a sort of softish peak yeah, into yeah. testing, and then kind of go back and that's right. Repeat yeah. the same thing. Yeah, cool. So many powerlifters sort of put a lot of their focus into the main lifts, and this is obviously understandable given like that's how we express our strength in the sport. Um, and in doing that, they sort of brush over their accessories and don't really give them everything. And I know I've been guilty of this in the past for sure. Um, what do you think needs to change in the lifter's approach with accessory work, and how important do you think accessory work is? Well, I think you need to start with what your expectations are as a powerlifter. Now, if you're um, if you want to be hyper competitive, you need to do what is necessary to be the best powerlifter possible. If you're looking to be, you know, competing four or five times a year, and it's a much more social aspect for you, that's fine as well. Um, and it just means that your your strategy may be a little bit different where you'll have a little bit more emphasis on SPD and the accessories are kind of just icing on the cake. If you want to be that hyper competitive and, and maximize your potential as a lifter, you need to take the accessory work very seriously because it allows you to maximize your muscle mass and, and a bigger, bigger lifter um, is a stronger lifter. And there's, there's, no, there's no denying that. What are some ways that we can get the most out of our accessories? Like, what are some strategies that you've implemented with your lifters or yourself that's helped you to sort of nut it out and just grit through it? Well, firstly, like, I, I'm an execution Nazi. Like, I, I just can't stand seeing a swinging, you know, out of control, wide grip lap pull down or just an ugly dumbbell bench press. I, th I think you've got to have... You've got to apply the same level of um, focus towards your accessories as a lifter, and that that involves like that involves um, being educated about what you need to do on those accessory lifts and how you need to execute them, um, and also like 
firstly, you should have a coach regardless, but if you don't, you should be choosing exercises that allow you to appropriately load that target muscle. Um, now that being said, we know that you know powerlifting training um, is a it's a it's a long sport. Like it's a it's a takes up a long period of time in your day. Um, so we also want to get the most bang for our buck. Um, and a couple of good strategies that I've that I've uh, brought across from um, bodybuilding. Uh, first one is um, what I like to call rest pause. Yeah, that's that's what it's called actually, and it's. It's come, up, it's come from, uh, I believe it was Dante Trudel, uh, the inventor of DC training. So essentially it's a, it's essentially a cluster set, but more bodybuilding focused, where you're um, taking each set to like a nine or a nine and a half RPE, with the final one being further. So you, for example, you set up a, a lap pull down for a set of 10, and you go to about a nine and a half RPE, you rest around 20 to 25 seconds, you go again, you'll go to a 10 RPE, you rest another 20 seconds, and then go for another 20 seconds, and then and to failure. Things like that where you can get a, um, a, little, a fair bit of volume and intensity in while overloading that muscle um, is really good, for, uh, really good for powerlifters, especially when the, you know, the, the SBD and the warm-up and the prehab is all taking a lot of time. I think uh, things like that uh, are really beneficial to, to powerlifting. Yeah, another thing that I've noticed that's helped me save um, some time with longer, higher volume um, bodybuilding sessions is supersetting stuff. What would you recommend for people when they do superset? Like which exercises do we want to pair with which exercises and how would we go about sort of setting up a, a superset plan? Yeah, so supersets are fantastic as well. Um, the, the most common problem I see is uh, people using similar muscles within that superset. They're not antagonist muscles. So for instance, you wouldn't do a bicep curl and then move straight into a barbell row or a lat pull down because you've weakened, you've fatigued the bicep and you really want to overload the back um, in that second part of the superset. So you think about strategy that way, you really good uh, really good uh, strategies like doing chest and back or biceps and triceps or you know shoulders and legs um, where there there's some contrast to the exercise and they're not they're, there's obviously going to be some carrier of fatigue but you're also not going to get uh, maximum kind of uh, impact from the first exercise cool so I guess this just goes back to more stuff that we mentioned earlier with, you know, don't don't think of yourself as a powerlifter and only look at what powerlifters are doing. Like, you know, open your eyes up to the other training disciplines and the stuff that's closely linked to powerlifting that can help you. Um, you know, there's some great stuff done by bodybuilders, you know, rest, pause, myo reps, supersets, drop sets, all that kind of stuff. Like it's super useful for bodybuilders when, you know, we want to save time or when we want to utilize sort of that focus yeah. and when we want to go into a different training phase or whatever. So yeah, keep your eyes open and sort of, you never know what you're going to learn from who. Of course, and I do know that, like I said before, I think powerlifters don't get into powerlifting to bodybuild. That, that's that's um, okay, and but just knowing that this, it's not really, 
it's not really exciting for powerlifters. They don't like, you know, talking about um, the execution of accessory work. It's boring as fuck to most people. But knowing that if you just apply a little bit of um, focus to that and just overload it the same way you do with your squat, bench and deadlift, that's all you need to do. Because the majority of accessory exercises are um, less technically demanding than your squat, bench and deadlift. Yeah, I've um, recently taken a lot of pride in like the feeling that I get after, you know, pushing something that's not the squat bench and deadlift. Like it just feels good to sort yeah. of like go past what you think you can do and just sort yeah. of like push into the, you know, eight, nine, 10 RPE range. I think it's just like something that you just feel like you've accomplished something. Yeah, it's a different sensation too. Like uh, this is purely anecdotal, but I, I find unless an accessory set is, you know, above like an eight RPE, I, just, I feel like I've not done anything. And I, you know, you don't, you don't get the same kind of you know, swell in the muscle um, that you would if you took a, a set to a nine or a nine and a half RPE. Absolutely. Yeah, and if if anything, like the because the the training is a little bit different from doing like a a one RM to doing like a really hard set of accessories. Like you kind of have the energy in the tank to kind of do that after you've done your main stuff anyway. Like it's not of like course. you should be yeah. so tired that you can't, you know push a tricep extension to an RPE 10 or That's right. like yeah. dumbbell bench to an RPE 10 or whatever the case is. Yeah, and the good, the good thing the good thing is that it's a lot safer too. Like, yeah, you don't need spotters. You know, it's just a, man, a mental game where um, if you keep your form repeatable um, and you just you just start to nut up and, and, and take that set through to what it should be taken to, um, it, it's fantastic. Like it's it's nice and easy, and, and you can do it um, after your squat, bench, and dead really easily. Cool. All right, man. Let's um let's move on to some of the stuff about mindset. And you kind of alluded to this when you spoke about sort of the hardships in in prep and how you know your mind is essentially what gets you through that those difficult times. Um, what about in the powerlifting context? How important do you believe the mindset of the lifter is in their performance. It's it's incredibly important. Um, your resiliency uh, will make or break you as a powerlifter. Um, you you can have all the talent in the world, and it don't don't mean shit without the ability to take on uh, challenges, some complications, and just keep pushing through backing the process knowing it's all going to work out eventually you know i think people just they get stuck on something and they just that's it that's they just throw on the towel and they they don't just keep pushing and pushing and pushing the thing is like you you only have to push against something for so long before it falls over and that's your determination that's your resiliency that you need to keep uh pushing towards especially on your weakest lifts like strong lifts you know, you, you sneeze and you, you put on 10 kilos on, on, your, on your squat or your deadlift or whatever. When you get to your hard, your hard lifts, um, that's where the, you really tested. Like your resolve is really tested. Um, and, and it's a big challenge for, for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, this is, you mentioned a, a really good point about um, mindset with your weak lifts. And this is something that I went through with my bench press um, a few years ago, like I benched, 
125 at the same comp that I did at the 265. So it's like absolutely terrible. Oh, yeah, it's like similar to me. Yeah, but probably <laughs> probably ratios. probably worse actually. <laughs> and um, I had to go through a complete mindset shift with how I approached the bench. Yeah, it had to be like. No, I had to be like, instead of thinking, oh, bench is just the break between squat and deadlift, which is basically how <laughs> so I approach it. Yeah, you lie down, you have a rest. Like there was no real consideration to technique. It was just like, do the program, try relatively hard. Yeah. But there was no like conscious thought of like, okay, I'm, I want to be good at this. Sure. And like, I want to perfect my technique. I want to improve on the bench press. And it wasn't until then doing that and repeatedly day in day out turning up trying to improve my technique telling myself that you know i will be good at bench eventually my bench progressed more than each of the two lifts combined for about 18 months yeah just with that shift in mindset and how that shift in mindset affected how i was training and my performance yeah um how does mindset differ in training versus in competition like what are the things that you've noticed about sort of the way you approach a training lift versus the way you approach uh, your third attempt squat. Yeah, so I think you've you've got to apply context um, in terms of your energy towards training versus the platform. Clearly, you need to be in a higher highly aroused state for a third squat. But whether that's internal or external arousal, you know, might, you might be the calmest looking person in the world, but you need to be hyped up inside. Or you could be like me, where you're just screaming the house down. Um, yeah. Raging around like a bear, as Matty Cherry would say. Um, oh, by the way, on Matty Cherry, <laughs> I posted the story of you, about you coming on the podcast, and Cherry responded with, "How does Walt get on, and not me?" <laughs> and my response was, "He's actually a coach and a good lifter." Fuck it all. Shout out, Matty. No comment. <laughs> uh, he's Matty's great. Yeah, so so, so, you, me up. so you've mentioned that. <laughs> You've mentioned that sort of arousal, that hype during during a competition lift. How does this how is this different in, in training? Like I'm not talking about like a heavy set in training. I'm talking about like when you're doing tens or eights. Yeah. How's that different? Well, yeah, like I was saying, that the arousal is going to be different. There's only so much hype you can get up for a set of ten uh, versus a single. But you do need to be an adamant professional. You you need to be going about these sets, ticking them off, going. Let's execute this set of 10 with the same precision as uh, the third squat on a platform. And if you apply the same level of standards uh, to your training, to all the little fluff work that you have to do, all the, the light stuff with the feet up, tempo, pause, bench, and all that stuff, if you're, if you're an adamant professional about it and you apply the standards the same way you would do to the platform, that's where, you, that's where you're gonna see um, that consistency that, that's so important in powerlifting. The ability to be repeatable with your technique, uh, just to call on it at any time and know that it's technically just up to standard. So you're saying that those movements that the body is performing start in the mind? Absolutely, they start in the mind and they start with the easy stuff. Start with the stuff where you, you, you can close your eyes and the weight's not even going to bother you. Because if you, if you race through that stuff and, and don't build the good habits around that easy work, both in your mind and, and with the bar in your hands, 
um, you're going to run into trouble when the weight increases, when the load increases. Yeah, that's something that um, Ed Cohen always used to talk about. Treat your heavyweights like the lightweights. Treat your lightweights like the heavyweights. And that's something that, you know, even when you're doing warm-up sets, I think it's really, really important. Yeah. So anyone listening out there, if you're, you know, warming up for, you know, your top squat set, it might be 200 kilos. You need to treat all the warm-ups before that like it's the top set. 185 is the same as 200. You know, whatever your second last, 170 is the same Absolutely. as 200. Yeah. 150, 120, so 70. From, even when you touch a bar, it's got to be all the same. And it starts with like how you you approach that with the mind. Like you think about all those things that you do technically. Mm. It all has to be the same. It's got to be methodical. So um, you've made a few revelations in the last probably six to nine months in regards to your own mindset and training. Um, and it's made had a, had a huge positive impact on your um, platform performance, particularly in the deadlift. Um, how did these revelations come about? Well, you first first of all, it's trial and error. Like you, you're gonna fuck up. You're gonna try things. You know, you're gonna experiment with stuff. You need to know what works for you, and something that might work for me may not work for someone else. Like I. As a lifter, I need to get the energy out of me um, for the platform, and that involves being an absolute maniac sometimes. Um, but that might not work for your personality. It might not work for your mentality. You, you might be one of those really uh, quiet people that just needs to rage on the inside. Um, so first, you need to apply some context. Um, so you might see your best lifters in the world just being super chill or super aggressive, that may or may not work for you. Um, and I found that was the case uh, for me, the guys I looked up to in terms of liftings, uh, lifters. Um, their strategies didn't necessarily work for me. Uh, yeah, that revelation, revelations like that were uh, important um, because I knew that it's not a perfect process and you just go through, you go through all these um, trial and error phases where you just find what works for you. Yeah. Um, I lost my next question. What was I going to say? I can't remember. I'll just say another thing about uh, visualization process. I think okay. that was the biggest, um, the probably the biggest thing I've taken away in the last two or so years. Um, the visualization process of, of the lift itself on the platform. So when I start to peak for my competitions and when I get my guys to start to peak for their competitions, I want them to have really vivid uh, imaginations of what it's gonna look like on the day. You know, what what's on the bar firstly? So a big thing for me is like, what color plates are gonna be on the bar? So if I know I'm gonna squat like 282 or 285, I know in my mind, I've got to look at five reds and the, and the, the collar and the, um, and the micro plates. Now that for, for me, that really is a, it's a strong motivator because I can just visualize it and I can see it. And as I'm walking out, like you're not, you're not looking at the plates obviously when you're walking out, but just that whole uh, experience and then couple that with your, uh, your positive view of yourself nailing that lift and, and seeing how it feels and 
knowing that you've executed it really well, that has helped my guys and myself as a lifter um, incredibly. And it's, it's, it's a really positive uh, psychological tool that you can use. Yeah, visualizing the what the actual bar will look like is something that helped me a lot um, for deadlifting, especially like five reds always seemed like a lot. Yeah. And, it, you know, I have to have to think about you know what five reds looks like and make it sort of feel familiar to me that so that when i go out there um, because i'm someone who doesn't go awfully close to cotton loads in training for the deadlift so i'm never going to have five reds loaded on the bar in training um until i probably pull 300 yeah and um it's something that i have to sort of visualize and be comfortable with and be familiar with before i get out there so um you mentioned the the trial and error thing and this is this is this is funny because your first comp, I wanted to give you ammonia and smack you around. You were yeah. like, no, nah, that's not for me. Yeah. And now you are an absolute maniac. So <laughs> I was right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. like I was saying before, there's, there's different levels of arousal and, and people express it differently. So you can be quite external with your arousal. Um, a lot of my guys are. Uh, they're just copying the big bear. But, in t- yeah. <laughs> but internally, like some guys just have to go there internally. They can't be like screaming and cussing and just like, and, and walking around like a madman. Um, again, it comes down to what works for you. And that's the trial and error. And, and that's where you can use your training process. You know, when you start with your, he- when you start with your singles, start to experiment with what works for you. Um, hype-wise and I've, I've written written down a quote and I think this is probably going to be helpful for a lot of people who might, may think um, other people might, might think they're a bit of a lunatic or an idiot and it's like hype up like no one's watching and at the end of the day if it's going to help you succeed in that lift who fucking cares what people think of you if you think if other people think you're a, a maniac on, on gear and and you know you've you've got mental issues well so be it it's their problem yeah i think at the end of the day they're going to remember your successful huge lift yeah versus how you you acted um before or afterwards correct with that being said though um one of the first ever powerlifting comps that i went to was um was uh gpa world in 2014 right yeah. I've told this story a couple of times on the podcast. You know Zahir Kadarov? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so he <laughs> he was lifting, I think he scored a 450 in raps at yep. like at 110. Insane. Insane. And yep. um, he racked it and ran into the crowd and he pulled his soft suit down, took it, took off his t-shirt and threw it into the crowd, <laughs> yelling, kill, motherfucker, kill. <laughs> and <laughs> yelling 1100 because he wanted to total 1100 kilos. I think he ended up doing like 1050 or something. Like he didn't get anywhere yeah. close. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, that's that's something that I remember um, very vividly. But I don't think Zahir would give a fuck what anyone thinks no, about no. him, other than like that he's extremely strong sure, and that he sure. squatted 450 that day. I think you've got to earn the right to be at that stage as well. Yeah. Like if you think you, if you think someone wants your sweaty ass shirt after you've squatted and thrown in the thrown in the crowd or you know you're a bit you're a bit delusional unless you're squatting anything more than 400 kilos he probably is an actual maniac anyway yeah. so shout out to here if you want to come on the podcast you're <laughs> you're welcome and you might need to get a translator yeah so you mentioned um 
You mentioned a couple of things with regards to mindset, visualization, studying earlier in training, trial and error, all these kind of things. How do you go about coaching mindset with your lifters? Is it more of a, the same thing? You sort of talk them through these things and then get them to trial different things? Yeah, first it starts with a conversation. You know, you've got to know, you've got to know your lifter well. I think that's in, that's a important factor. If you're applying, it's like applying a, a template to somebody, a template program to some to everybody. The same thing applies with this this uh, mentality, and and you've got to know what your lifter's personality is like. Um, if they're outwardly aggressive, or if they're you know they're, they're quite shy and reserved, those things are going to be a, a huge factor. So knowing those things um, from the get go is really good, at, really important as a coach. Um, to then apply the different strategies that you may or may not uh, use. Yeah, I, I really, really agree with that. And I've had that experience with lots of my lifters. I know exactly what to say to you before a third squat. You know, I don't really need to say much because yeah. you're doing it all yourself. And I know the difference between you versus mags or you versus Potsy yeah. or whatever. And like, I think it's really important to sort of even try a few things um, in competition with your lifters and see how it goes. And if it goes really well, do the same thing again. Of course. Um, do you have anything else to add on mindset, man? Um, yeah, I do I do think, like we've talked about arousal and, and mindset a lot. Um, I do think there is a limit to it. And um, you can, I, I don't want people uh, kind of taking this conversation away and, and thinking that, your arousal mentality is going to add like 20% to your lifts. It's not going to. It's just going to express what you've done in the gym better. And there is, uh, you can come into issues where it it become, it's like a false confidence. Like you can use arousal as um, something that may hide uh, issues that you're, you're dealing with and uh, you know, structural, structural or technique issues that you're dealing with. So getting overtly hyped up um, to hide those factors is not going to be beneficial either. So you need to have put the work in. That's first and foremost. Like it, the process needs to have been done, needs to have been gone through, and this is just the icing on the cake. Yeah, no level of hype is going to override a shit training cycle Absolutely. or like poor, poor technique or whatever. Yeah. Yep. Sweet, man. Well, um, let's take another quick break and we'll come back with the four questions. Fucking breathing so heavy, <laughs> Welcome back to Weekly Weights. I'm here with Nick Walters and we're going to hit him with the four questions that tell us everything we need to know about a person. You ready, man? I am. You know them? Uh, first one is... Uh do you know no, 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 no. <laughs> That's my job. Will's a... Uh, Will. Nick's an avid listener of Weekly Weights, so he knows the questions very well. He's been planning his four questions for months, haven't you? Uh, yeah. And these better be good. <laughs> They're going to be boring as fuck, man. All right. Good. Way to sell it. <laughs> uh, question one. If you could take anyone out to dinner, dead or alive, who would it be? Well, I'm going to get in trouble if I don't say... Larissa? No, you don't. You can't say her. Um, so okay, okay. I'll, I'll reframe the question. No, you're not. You're not dating a Brazilian, right? She's I'll reframe the question. If you and Larissa could go out to dinner with anyone, dead or alive, <laughs> who would it be? 
so I was having a think about this last night and I would want to take someone out who has been an absolute titan during their lifetime. And the person that comes to mind is most definitely Winston Churchill. So the, the British Prime Minister during World War II. Uh, his impact on the 20th century was um, remarkable. And the person he was, the person he, he was, uh, he lived the, the rules and the, the characters that he kind of he lived by uh, were really something to look up to. Yeah, absolutely. I was expecting you to say Arnold. No, I don't really like Arnold, man. Really? Nah, I think he's a bit of a jerk. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Dorian Yates if it was a bodybuilder. Sorry? Dorian Yates if oh, it was yeah. a bodybuilder. He's cool. Yeah. He's actually like a normal size now. Super chill. He's like a normal size now. Yeah. Just looks like a dude. Yeah. All right, question two. Who's your favorite athlete of all time? Everyone says someone that's not powerlifting, so I was thinking like... Well, who's your favourite powerlifting athlete of all time? Yeah, so that's what I was going to do. Oh, so, okay, yeah. Um, it, a guy by the name of Garrett Belvins. Levins. Levins, yes. He's a uh, 105 kilo American lifter. Uh, got a sick beard. He's like this big like country boy from uh, the middle of the, the country. and um, He's just super chill, family man, and he just... He's an incredible squatter and, and bencher um, and someone I really look up to because he's his training is just insane and the amount of volume that he gets through and it's kind of really relatable. Yeah, uh, he's the um, he's the guy behind the um, the juggernaut uh, AI coach. Yes. Yeah, so he's written all that code. Yeah, incredibly intelligent, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. What about non-powerlifting? Yeah, I thought about this. Um cricketer yeah current like steve smith oh yeah definitely um, the goat. yeah steve goat. i actually i actually played against him a few times really yeah when i was younger did you get him out no he hit the winning runs off me but we were like he had like 12 hours to go so it wasn't like oh yeah that's, deal. that's pretty cool story. he's like five foot six like what? nice and chubby would he remember you no no way i remember seeing steve smith at greenwood once yeah i played against like i played with mitchell stark i played against phil hughes oh yeah yeah, bowled him quite a bit. But yeah, back in my heyday, mate. <laughs> All right, question three. These are usually Will's questions, so yep. these are the two shitty questions. <laughs> um, which TV character or movie character do you most resemble? So, do you remember the OC? Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know if this is true or not, but... I love I, the OC, dude. I always was told I look like Ryan from the OC. Dude, that was my one when I did this. I know, I know, I was like, because I was like, fuck, I'm like, because I was thinking of those questions in my head back when you said that. I was like, what the fuck? Did you really? Yeah. Oh, there you go. I remember when you said that. It's funny because you and I don't look alike. I know, I know. But I used to, used to get that all the time from people. This looks like Ryan from the OC. Obviously, you got all the, the bad aspects of him and yeah, I got yeah. all the good ones. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> all right, there you go. He's short like you, so that's right. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> um, last question. Um, your life's been made into a montage. What music do you set it to? So I thought of a, I thought of something that had quite a lot of contrast because I'm not very steady. I'm like kind of really either super chill or super aggressive. And the song that comes to mind is it's actually like, I don't think many people would know it. It's called Sophie Needs a Ladder by Dead Nuts. No. And it starts out super chill and then out of nowhere it just hits you like 
lead bricks just hits you hard. And, um, Dead Mouse, it's like a trancey Yeah, EDM. Sophie Needs a Ladder. It's, okay. it's quite an old song. It's one of his from way back. Cool. Yeah. All right. Um, do you want to do overrated, underrated, properly rated? Can you think of anything? Or do you want me to go first? You go first. I haven't thought of anything yet. All right, Nick's come up with uh, overrated, underrated, properly rated. What do you got for me? So, what is your opinion on stepping over the bar when you are deadlifting? Do you want to give As them a, a little bit more context? So the context is, is uh, certainly within the, within the Russian uh, aspects of powerlifting, that if you step over the bar when it's on the on the ground, you are disrespecting the deadlift. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Alex? Um, I think that's overrated. And I think the reason for that is because it's often hard to navigate your way around the gym without stepping over bars. Sure. If there's not a lot of space between you know, like the plate tree and the bar and the yeah. platform and whatever, yeah. especially at lift, like everything's so crammed in. Yeah. Um, overrated. I don't think, yeah, I don't think that that's even like a sign of respect. If anything, like, you should step over and be like, yeah, fucking own you, bitch. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. All right. I got one for you. Overrated, underrated, properly rated. The phrase, beards make you stronger. Properly rated. <laughs> I don't know, man. There's just something, something about it. You know, you're just like, you hairy beard, and you're just like, fuck, I'm a powerlift now. <laughs> <laughs> Did you not have a beard when you did bodybuilding? I can't remember. Yeah, I looked like... Oh, that's right. really weird. You looked more like Ryan Atwood. Yeah, I had, <laughs> Yeah. I got like a really square jaw as well, so... Just when I was dieted down, I looked like I had a square head. Just like, look at a box as a head. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Alright, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on uh, the podcast today. Um, just quickly, you got one more job. Tell everyone where they can find you on the internet um, and where they could contact you about coaching. Perfect. Thanks, man. Well, thanks for having me on. Um, I can be contacted through Instagram. Uh, my handle is Nikki Walt, um, N-I-C-K-Y-W-A-L-T, and also at The Process PL, um, also on Instagram. Yeah. And also you can go to uh, The Process Powerlifting, sorry, theprocesspl.com. Um, and then there's a contact us link on there and you can um, inquire there too. So I'm Alex, Alex Hayes underscore process on Instagram. Talk to you guys next week.